so good to be back with you all. It's been a, a year since I was here. So happy to be here. Especially to fellowship concerning such a great matter. Um, dear saints, we need to realize where we are in church history. The church has been on the earth for more than 20 centuries, and the only normal and proper and up-to-standard church life that we can find in the entire Bible is in Acts chapter 2. That's the church that the Lord brought forth on the day of Pentecost, and when the Lord does something, it's perfect. Whatever He does is perfect at the time he does it. When man does something, the first try is not very good, and then we try to improve it. God doesn't operate that way. That's the church he wanted. And that's our model for the church life today. Um, We talk about the God-ordained way. Where do we find that? We find it in Acts chapter 2. So, We need to study Acts 2 to know what the church should be. And immediately after the church came into being, before it ever spread from Jerusalem to Antioch, it already had degraded. So what spread from Jerusalem was a degraded version of the church life. And you can divide the 20 centuries of church history into just three sections. The first five centuries, the next ten centuries, and the last five centuries. Those first five centuries were centuries of degradation. Until the degradation reached the bottom in the sixth century. Then you have ten centuries, which are the Dark Ages. Oh my goodness, think about it. Aren't you glad you weren't born at that time? Then, beginning at the time of the Reformation, we have five centuries of recovery. But let me tell you something about these five centuries. In the first 400 years... The church life was not recovered. A lot of truths were recovered, beginning with justification by faith um, with Martin Luther, and then on and on. I won't review that history, but let me just say this. The practice of the church life, according to the revelation in the Scriptures, did not begin to be recovered until a hundred years ago. Approximately a hundred years with Brother Watchman Nee in China. You and I are very, very blessed that we were born in this century. We were born into a time that the Lord is recovering the church the local churches, the ground of the church, and the body of Christ. Amen. 
I'm so glad. I'm so grateful to the Lord that I've been able to be in his recovery in this time. This, let's call this the modern period of the Lord's recovery. From the time of Watchman Nee to today, it's about a hundred years. By the Lord's mercy, I've witnessed almost half of that with my own eyes. And I can tell you, this is the best version of the church life that the earth has ever seen. Think about it. It really is. It really is. And yet, we have to admit, as our brother shared with us, that the church life has advanced greatly. But what we're talking about this weekend is not the practice of the church life. We're talking about the goal of the church life. The goal. God has a goal at every time in church history. So we're, we're here in the 21st century. Let me ask you, what is his goal right now? It's not the same as it was 500 years ago. It's not the same as it was 100 years ago. What is his goal in this age? We need to know this because we're living in this age. Let me tell you, his goal in this age is to gain overcomers who will live in the reality of the body of Christ. Everything else depends on that. When he has the reality of the body of Christ, he immediately has the full-grown new man who is the bride, who is the warrior. So I would tell you today, Ephesians 6 is not the peak of Ephesians. Ephesians 4 is the peak. As soon as the reality of the body of Christ is realized, everything else happens very quickly. The Lord comes back, and he ends this age. What does this tell us, dear saints? It tells us that in our Christian life today, and in our church life today, we should be intensely focused on one thing. And that one thing is the reality of the body of Christ. I have the absolute assurance to tell you that the Lord on the throne at the present time has this focus. He is intensely focused on this one thing. So this should be the focus of our prayer. This should be the focus of our service. This should be the focus of our living. I dare say that for the most part, it is not our focus. That's why we need this conference this weekend. And I'm so happy that the brothers put this matter of the reality of the body of Christ together with the principles of the body of Christ, the laws. 
You know, if you're going to live in a place like South Africa, you need to know the laws. If you don't, and they arrest you for breaking the law, you can't say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize there was a law against speeding. I thought it was okay to drive 100 kilometers a mile, uh, an hour. Will, will the police say, oh, oh, you didn't know. That's okay, you didn't know. No, they're going to give you a ticket and you're going to pay a big fine. Brothers and sisters, it is not a small thing to even know the principles of the body. To even know them is a great thing. And if we hope to live in the reality of the body of Christ, if we hope to overcome in this matter, here's where we need to start. We need to know all of the principles of the body. We need to know all of them. And not know them as a teaching, but know them in the way that we have internalized them in such a way that we don't even need to think about them. If we need to think about them, that's not our living. So, for example, fellowship is a great principle in the body of Christ. If, if I have to remind myself to fellowship, something's wrong. Living is spontaneous. I don't need to remind my body to breathe. It, it, it does it without being reminded. I don't need to rem- remind the blood in my body to circulate. If I did, I've got a big problem. Right? Most of our living, when we look at it, compared to these 20 great principles, we have to admit Even the ones we know, we have to remind ourselves to keep them. That means it hasn't become our living yet. You say, wow, Brother Mark, you come all the way to South Africa to tell us how short we are and how bad we are. No. I come all the way to South Africa to encourage you. You're living in the very time that the Lord is going to recover the reality of the body of Christ. What a great thing. So I want to echo what Brother Michael said. We need to, not only during this conference, but after this conference and for many days to come, We need to internalize these 20 principles. How how could we do that? I think through our prayer, we could. Through our prayer and our... Let's just be simple. Let's just ask the Lord to make all 20 of these our living. He wants to do that. Actually, he wants, he wants to do that more than anything. If you want the Lord to do something, ask him to do what he wants to do. 
He probably doesn't want you to get a new $100,000 car. If you ask him for that, I can't guarantee an answer. But if you ask him to make the 20 principles of living in the reality of the body, your intrinsic reality, you have just asked him to do the very thing that he is waiting to do, that he is anxious to do. So let's ask him to do that, shall we? And let's don't treat this conference as only a conference. It really isn't. It is a conference, but it's also a roadmap for the rest of our life in this age, saints. It's a roadmap from here to the Lord's second coming. If we can enter into this reality, we are going to be a part of that. Hallelujah! Okay. Uh, Let's come to this second message. This outline is actually very simple. It covers two of the greatest principles of the body. Uh, They're not new. You know them. You have heard them. Both of them are on the list of, of the 20 principles. But I think we could enter into them much more deeply than we have. So it's still worthy of our fellowship and our consideration. We don't need new points. We need to enter into the ones we have. And these two, you know them. So I beg you, try your best not to listen to this fellowship for teaching or for new knowledge. I'm not likely to give you any new knowledge, but I have a very strong burden to impart about the reality of these principles. So try to listen that way if you can. The first great principle, probably the, the greatest of all of the principles of the body of Christ, is that the body of Christ is one. The oneness of the body is a colossal law of living in the body of Christ. And it's the one most frequently broken. I don't know what law in South Africa is most frequently broken. I think where I live, it's laws on the highway, speeding. Speeding's probably the the number one offense, don't you think? I don't know. But I know this. The law of the body of Christ that is broken almost constantly is this first one, which is the biggest one. You say, how can you say that? Well, let's consider. Out of all of the believers on the earth today, how many of them have the vision of the body of Christ? How many of them even know the teaching of the oneness of the body of Christ? 
How many of them even know that there are principles to living in the body of Christ? I tell you, very few. Very few. So the vast majority of God's people on the earth today, they break all of these principles all the time. Every day. Because they're ignorant of them. They don't even know they exist. Most Christian groups, by their very standing, are divisive. They take a divisive ground as their stand. They take a divisive name as their name. So this one, this one has to be the one most frequently broken. It's also the most important one. Everything else depends on this. All of the other principles of the body depend on this one. So this one we need to get. And the second one is also very, very fundamental and basic. And that is the function of the body. Now, don't look at your outline. If I was to ask you this morning, saints, one sentence, what is the function of the body of Christ? And we went around this room, oh, we're going to get a lot of answers. And almost all of them are going to be wrong. This again shows we haven't internalized this. We, we, it has not become a vision to us yet that governs our living because we, we don't even have the teaching right yet. Let me tell you, the function of the body is to express Christ. Let's all say that together. The function function of the body is to express Christ. So, in the first message, I was listening to the prophesying. The same point impressed a lot of you that impressed me, and that is that the reality in Jesus, the reality of the living of Jesus in the four Gospels, that reality is the reality that should be in the body of Christ. So, that living that was described to us, the Lord as the individual Christ lived a God-man life, a life every single minute, every second, expressing God. He never expressed himself. He never expressed his natural life. He never expressed a good human life. He expressed the Father. He never spoke a word that wasn't the Father's word. He never took an action that was not the Father's action. What a God-man. And then this one went to the cross. He was crucified. He was raised from the dead. In resurrection, he became the life-giving spirit to enter into you and me, to produce the body of Christ with all of us as members. And that body of Christ came into being on the day of Pentecost. And what should have happened is simply a continuation. A continuation of that God-man living, not 
only by the individual Christ, but the corporate Christ. That's what should have happened. But we all know it, it, it happened here and there. It happened with Paul. It happened with Stephen. It happened with a number of individuals. But we can't see the reality of the body of Christ in the churches in the New Testament because they lost that. And that's what the recovery is for today. It's to recover that. Oh, what a time we live in. So these are two of the great principles of the body. The body is uniquely one. And the function of the body is to express Christ. So let's cover these in detail now. We have plenty of time. We'll finish this outline and we'll have a lot of time for your speaking. Let's read Roman numeral one together. The last word is important. The body of Christ is uniquely one, universally, universally. You know, the universe is time and space. When we say that the body of Christ is uniquely one, universally, we're talking about all of the believers, both in time and in space. The body of Christ is universal. It's, it's one. There's only ever been one. It's not like there was a body of Christ in the last age, now there's another one. No, it's always been one. It's the same one that came into being on the day of Pentecost. It's the same one that you and I are in today. Now, A says the Lord's recovery is the recovery of the oneness of the body of Christ. Hallelujah for the Lord's recovery. You know, the enemy came in in the very first century to divide the body of Christ. And that division caused by God's enemy exists to the present day. And it it was not until approximately a hundred years ago that the, the matter of the ground of the church was recovered. And it, even if it was taught before that, it was never practiced. It was never practiced. So this is a great, great thing that the Lord is using his recovery to finally, finally recover the oneness of the body of Christ. You know, the, the Lord's recovery is mainly two things. To recover the oneness of the body and to recover the function of the body. That's really what the Lord's recovery is. What the enemy did is he, he caused the body to be divided. And then you know what he did? He used the clergy laity system to annul the function, the function of the body. You see, the two things the enemy attacked are these two great principles of the body of Christ. That's why I say these two 
need to be first. That's why this message is the first one on the principles, because the enemy's attack is on these two things, the oneness of the body of Christ and the function of the body of Christ. That means the Lord's recovery is to recover these two things. Can you see this? I hope you can see this. Listen, sometimes the devil is more clear about the truth than we are. The devil is very clear that these are the two main principles of the body. Why do you think he attacked them? These were the first two he attacked. He knew it. So, in his recovery, this should be a major focus for us. A major focus. Dear saints, um, in the book, The Prayer Ministry of the Church, Brother Watchman Nee talks about the church's prayer, the corporate prayer of the church. And in that book, he uses some very special utterance. He says the church, the church must learn to pray big prayers, to pray colossal prayers, to pray tremendous prayers. So when I read that, I asked myself and I asked the Lord, what is a big prayer? Well, let's consider for a moment. Most of our prayers are small. Would you agree with me? We know what small prayers are. Oh, Lord, help me. I need this. I need that. Those are small prayers. Oh, Lord, help. Help Sungeza. He looks depressed today. <laughs> he doesn't. He's smiling. I, I love Sungeza because he's always smiling. I never see him depressed. Those are small prayers. Let me tell you a big prayer. John 17. John 17. And what's the focus of that prayer? That tremendous prayer. That has got to be the greatest prayer that a human being ever prayed. John 17. Do you agree with me? Is there a greater prayer? Is there a bigger prayer? No, no, no. There's not a bigger prayer. And what's the focus of that prayer? You tell me. The oneness. The oneness. That's a big prayer. And then there's, I can tell you another really big prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, 16 through 21. The great prayer of the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you, if you compare Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 with the Lord's prayer in John 17 you'll find out they're the same prayer. They are the same prayer. That is a big prayer. You know, saints, when we come together for the prayer meeting, we find it very easy to pray for activities. So, oh, we have a conference this weekend. We've got to pray for the conference. Let's pray Let's pray that the saints can come from everywhere. Let's pray for the brothers. Let's pray for the children. I'm not saying we we don't need to pray for that. 
I sure hope you prayed for this conference. And I sure hope you prayed for me. I need it. We find it very easy to pray for events, for activities, for people, for ourselves. But how about if... When is your prayer meeting? Usually Tuesday, huh? How about this Tuesday, if we came to the meeting hall and the brothers said, uh, Saints, tonight, we're, we're going to just pray the whole night for the oneness of the body of Christ. I have a feeling it would be a very short meeting. <laughs> that would probably be the shortest prayer meeting in history. Because our utterance and our understanding and our burden for such a prayer is small. I include myself. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we came together and we prayed Ephesians 3, 16 through 21 for an hour? And I don't mean quoting the verses. I mean the content. I believe the Lord would dancing in the heavens, listening to a prayer meeting like that. But because you know why? Because it doesn't happen. He would love to hear that. He would love to hear it, but he doesn't hear it. Well, the oneness of the body of Christ has three main aspects. I would like to tell you this. Firstly, it's, there's the universal oneness of the body of Christ. That oneness is the oneness that we read about just now in Ephesians 4, the oneness of the Spirit. What is it that makes the body universally one? It's the Spirit in our spirit. Every believer, every genuine member of the body of Christ has the life-giving spirit in their spirit. That makes them a member of that unique body of Christ. So the first aspect of the oneness is the universal oneness, which is the oneness of the spirit in Ephesians 4. The second aspect of the oneness is the practical oneness. Or, or we could say the practice of the oneness, which is the practice of the church life according to the revelation of the scriptures concerning the ground of the church. What is the ground of the church? The city. The city. The ground of the church is the city in which the church exists. I live in Seattle, Washington, we, we, hallelujah, there's a church in Seattle, Washington. And the ground of that church is the city of Seattle. There's only one genuine ground for the church to stand on. That's the city. That's the revelation in the scriptures. That's our practice. So first we have the universal oneness. Then we have the practical oneness. But brothers and sisters, there's a third stage or a third aspect of the oneness 
that we still don't have yet. We have these two. We ha- every one of us has the oneness of the Spirit. Let me, ask, let me check with you. Do you have the Spirit in your spirit? Amen. Good. Then we don't need to have a gospel meeting. Now, let me ask you this. Are you in a real and genuine local church standing on the ground of the city? Amen. Good. You got, you got the first two. The third one is what the Lord prays for at the end of John 17, the perfected oneness. That perfected oneness, listen carefully, that perfected oneness in John 17, I, uh, I think it's verse 23, should be verse 23, that is the same oneness spoken of by Paul in Ephesians 4.13. You have to connect these two verses. Ephesians 4.13 says, until we all arrive. See, there's a oneness that we need to arrive at. There's a oneness we just need to keep. That's the verse we read. Keep the oneness of the Spirit. That's what we're trying to do in our practice, is keep that oneness. But then there's a oneness that we arrive at. And that oneness that we will arrive at is the oneness of the faith and the oneness of the full knowledge of the Son of God. That's the perfected oneness that the Lord prayed for in John 17. I think just by this brief fellowship, you can realize there's a lot to pray for there, isn't there? I mean, that, that's a lot to pray for. <laughs> if we could, let's try to work this into our individual prayer. And let's try to work. I know we still got to pray for conferences. And, but let's try to work this in to our corporate prayer. While we are praying for necessary matters. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, the oneness the oneness of the faith, the oneness of the full knowledge of the Son of God, the perfected oneness. I think it would make the Lord happy if we could get this into our prayer life. Okay, so in the Lord's recovery, this is what the Lord is recovering. Small one, the body can exist and survive only in oneness. The picture is, is your body. You know, the body of Christ is an organic reality in the same way that your body is an organic reality. It's not an illustration. It's not an allegory. It's not that your body is the real thing and it, the, the body of Christ is kind of like that. No, the body of Christ is an organic reality in the same way that your physical body is an organic reality. Now, look at my body. How many bodies do I have? And as soon as you divide this body into two, both halves are dead. 
the body's gone. The body is gone. As soon as there is division in the body of Christ, the reality of the body is gone. The, the doctrine of the body remains, the teaching of the bo- body remains, but the reality of the body is gone. Can you see this? The body can only survive if there is oneness. Two, the Lord is burdened to recover the oneness of the body of Christ. Don't you believe that? Don't you believe that that is the Lord's burden? Number three, the practice of this oneness has been lost. But we wish to satisfy the Lord's heart to recover this oneness. Amen. Amen. It's... It's in the process of being recovered. We can't say it's been fully recovered. We can say it's in the process. You know, somewhat like the matter of prophesying. It's in the process of being recovered. We shouldn't think we've reached it, but, but it's happening. It's happening. Okay, uh, letter B The unique oneness of the body of Christ is the oneness of the Spirit in Ephesians 4.3. That's the universal oneness. Why? Because of sub-point one. The Spirit is the essence of the body of Christ. Did you know that? What is the body of Christ made out of? We know what our body is made out of. It's made out of dirt. It's made out of clay. What is the body of Christ made of? Spirit. The Spirit is the essence of the body of Christ. Hence, the Spirit is the reality of the oneness of the body of Christ. Okay, remember what we said. How did you get this oneness? How did you enter into this oneness? It was by the Spirit... Entering into your spirit. So that spirit is the essence of this oneness. As soon as you remove that spirit, there's no oneness. So, in our journey, as we are seeking to arrive at a perfected oneness, what do we need? We need that spirit to spread in us. We need that spirit to saturate us. We need that spirit to permeate our entire being. So, I think that's a big prayer. I think that's a big prayer that we can pray every day. Lord, this day, saturate me more so that I can be more in the oneness of your body and more in the reality of your body. That's a prayer we should pray every day. Okay, let's go on. Small two. This oneness was imparted into the spirit of the believers in Christ in the regeneration by the spirit of life with Christ as life. Three, we need to keep the oneness of the spirit in the uniting bond of peace with the transformed human virtues. Okay, not with the natural human virtues. 
Sometimes we attempt to keep the oneness with our natural virtues, and it becomes ugly in a hurry. Uh, We can't do that. Have you learned this already? A husband and wife can't even be one if they live in their natural virtues. I I have a little experience in that arena. It's been 39 years of marriage for my wife and I, and I have learned the only way I can be one with my wife, who is the member of the body of Christ that I am most related to, is for the Spirit to saturate and permeate my weak and fallen human virtues. I have love as a human virtue, but it's not enough. It's not the love that, what's the adjective for love in that book? What kind of love? Extraordinary love. I don't have extraordinary love, do you? No, I have ordinary love. (laughs) The kind that runs out. That's the kind of love I have. But when, when the spirit of reality comes into my human virtue of love to saturate me with the divine attribute of love, I can be one with my wife. You know, it's the best time of our whole married life. That's normal. It should be like that. It should be better and better and better and better. If, if the Spirit is saturating you, it will get better. Every, every year will be better. I promise you. That's free marriage advice. <laughs> My advice to every married saint, let the Spirit saturate you. It's the only thing that works, I'm telling you. It's the only thing that works. Uh, uh, marriage counseling, no. When the saints come to me for marriage advice, which they often do, <clears throat> I used to give them a lot of human advice. Well, you know, brother, God created males and females differently. You just got to learn to communicate. You know, women, they communicate differently than men. Men... And, and, you know, that's all true, but it doesn't help. <laughs> what we need is for the Spirit to, to spread from our spirit Amen. into our soul. Amen. That's what we need. It's what we need in the marriage life. It's what we need in the church life. How are we going to get along with all the saints? And our goal is not to get along. Our goal is not to tolerate each other. Our goal is to live in the reality of the body of Christ with one another. How in the world is that going to happen? We need the transformed human virtues for that to happen. And the transformed human virtues come as the Spirit saturates us in our soul. Number four, the ground of a local church is the unique oneness of the body of Christ 
that is the oneness of the Spirit. The, the ground of the church is the practice of the universal oneness, the oneness of the Spirit. It's the only way for all of the churches on the whole earth to be one. I'm so happy to be in a genuine local church. And I'm very happy that when I come to your local church, it's exactly the same. You know, I'm not a visitor here. This is my church. It's the same one I'm in. We're in the same one, you know. Only the location is different. It's like we got one big giant church with a lot of meeting halls in a whole bunch of cities. But it's the same church. Do you, do you believe that? Sometimes when I travel, I ask the, the brothers, I, I, I say, hey, brothers, how many churches are there in South Africa today? And then they start counting. And they tell me, oh, there's da-da-da-da-da. I say, wrong. There's only one. Because I like to remind them that, yes, we have local churches. And, yes, the administration of the local churches is under the brothers in that local church. But, dear saints, there's only one church on the whole earth. Because there's only one body of Christ on the whole earth. I hope, I hope we see this. I can't walk into a Christian meeting in a division today and have this kind of fellowship with them that I have with you. I, I, I can walk into any local church on the earth and immediately have excellent prayer and fellowship and blending with the brothers. You can't do that anywhere else. That reality, in as much as we have it, we admit we don't have it enough, but the reality that we do have is really precious. I do not feel like a visitor when I come here. When I got in on Thursday night, Brother Michael told me, he's been here a couple weeks already, he said, welcome home. I said, yeah, it's good to be home. It's good to be home. Okay, number five. All the local churches need to be kept in the unique oneness of the body of Christ. We are in it, and we are practicing it. We need to be kept in it. All of us know some who, who did not remain in it. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Um, people we know, people we love, people who did have it, they lost it. We shouldn't think that we're better than them. I can testify. It's, it's been 45 years for me. I'm only here because of the Lord's mercy. I'm not any better than the ones who lost it. Uh, this is a good personal prayer. Lord, keep me in the oneness of your body for my entire life. That I have prayed, and the Lord has answered it. I don't plan on leaving. 
You know, I, uh, the saints, the young people ask me to do a lot of weddings where I live, and uh, I, do, I do some. And I always tell the couple that's going to get married, I say, well, I will do your wedding under one condition, and that is before, before the wedding, we need to have several times of fellowship because we need to talk about it. And one of the first things I tell them is when you go home, go get your dictionary, turn to the letter D in your dictionary, find the page that has the word divorce, and burn it. Don't ever utter the word divorce, and don't ever let it be an option. If it's never an option, it'll never happen. Let me tell you, that's how we need to be with the church. We got married to the church. Marriage is for life. It's not temporary. The day, the day we said, Lord, I consecrate myself to Christ and the church. You got married. That's serious. Don't ever make leaving the church an option. It's never been an option for me. Believe me, there were times I wanted to. Does that surprise you? If you stick around as long as me, there will be plenty of times that if there was a way out, you would have taken it. And if you're honest, the same thing's true in your marriage life. There were times that if it was an option, you'd have left. But it wasn't an option. So you had to gain Christ and love your spouse. (laughs) Don't let it be an option to leave the oneness of the body of Christ. You need to tell the Lord, Lord, I don't care. I don't care how many people offend me. I don't care how big the offense is. I'm not leaving. It's all up to you. It's your choice. I made that choice, and when I made it, it was irrevocable. I've never left. I'm looking at my dear brother Stan and Debbie Betts. When I came into the church life in 1974, they were there. Nice young couple in Huntington Beach, California. Hey, Stan. We're still here, brother. We're still here. Hey, Stan, was there ever a time it ever crossed your mind that this wasn't exactly what you signed up for and maybe there's a way out of it? This is what I tell the Lord sometimes, Stan. I say, you know, I just wanted to get saved. I didn't, I didn't sign up for all of this. I just didn't want to perish. But where was, I, I mean, where was all of this? In the fine print that I didn't read?
let's admit it, it's not so easy to keep the oneness of the body, is it? It's not so easy. We all have a natural life. We all all have a great portion of our soul untransformed. It's not that easy to keep the oneness. We need the Lord's mercy, and we need we need to make a decision. <laughs> Go ahead and offend me. You you can even excommunicate me. I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm staying in the oneness of the body of Christ. Okay, now point C: the genuine oneness of the body. Let's all read C together. The genuine. Where do we see that in the Word of God? Here is a statement. It's a pretty big statement. It says that the genuine oneness is the processed and consummated triune God mingled with the believers. Where can I find that in the Bible? Well, the outline tells us. We can find it in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. We need to pray-read Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, until we have the understanding that this is what it says. That it says the genuine oneness is this processed and consummated triune God mingled with us. Let me read it to you again. Let's see if it says it. Let's see if this out... You think the brothers made a mistake on point C, or do you think it's right? Because we could call them and have them fix it if it's wrong. What do you think? Right or wrong? Yeah, I think it's right. So let, let me read Ephesians 4 again. Tell me if, if it matches this point. One body and one spirit. Even as also you were called in the hope, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That sounds like the processed and consummated triune God as the Spirit becoming the essence of the body of Christ, doesn't it? It actually does, you need, but you need some time. You need to spend some time to muse on these verses to to get it. But it's there. It's there. I hope, you, I hope you know it's there. Okay. The processed and consummated triune God mingles himself with his chosen and redeemed people in their humanity. And this mingling is the genuine oneness of the body of Christ. Here is a practical definition of the oneness of the body of Christ. And here is how we're going to arrive at the perfected oneness, it's the mingling. It's the mingling. The more we are mingled with the Lord, the more we are in the oneness of the body of Christ. So it's okay to say, and it's correct to say, that this mingling is the oneness. So if I'm having trouble being one with the brothers, you know what the very best thing I can do is get together with them and get mingled with the Lord. You know, I haven't seen Brother Michael for a while. 
I forget when the last time was. But last night, we, we were praying for the conference. Man, I was in the heavens, Michael. I was. I was just in the... Oh, man, we were... We got mingled with the Lord. And when you do that, when I see a brother who I have experienced the mingling with, there's no problem with the oneness. I have no problem being one with Michael. None at all. Because we get mingled with the Lord when we're together. That's what we need to do, saints. Okay. Um, Because the body is such a mingling, the body itself is the oneness. How about that? The body of Christ is a mingling. That's a good definition of the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? It's human beings mingled with God. The body of Christ is a mingling. So the body is the oneness. Stay in the body. You'll be in the oneness. D, oh, D is important. Let's read it together. The oneness of the body of Christ is the oneness of the divine trinity. Hence, the oneness of the body of Christ is a large oneness of the divine trinity. Ooh, and there's those verses in John 17. John 17, 21 and 23. I was right. It's John 17, 23. It says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected into one. And John 17, 21, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Oh, wow. What a prayer. What a prayer. By this prayer of the Lord, we can understand that the triune God, the three of the divine trinity, have a certain kind of oneness. It's a oneness that is impossible to have in the physical realm. It it can only be in the divine and mystical realm. It's a oneness in which the three co-inhere. They mutually indwell one another. We can't even illustrate it. There's no way to do it. It doesn't happen in the physical realm. And that oneness, we're supposed to get into that. That they may be in us. That's why I say we could spend a whole prayer meeting just pray reading John 17, 21, and 23, and we would only scratch the very, very, very surface of it. This is, this is the real oneness. It's the triune God himself. He is the oneness. And we need, to, we need to get mingled with the triune God. We need to get into the triune God to such an extent that we are incorporated with him. Oh, if if you said that to people outside this room, they would say, man, that's heresy. You're talking about you being in with the three of the divine trinity? What are you, the fourth? (laughs) You're number four? It's not a trinity anymore, it's a quadrinity? (laughs) I don't know if that's a word or not. 
a quadrinity. Well, in a certain sense, no, we don't ever become God in the Godhead. Of course not. We never become God as, as the object of worship. Of course not. But let me check with you. Is the triune God in you? And are you in the triune God? It's four in one. It's not just three in one. It's four in one. Hector, you're in the triune God, brother. And the triune God's in you. You're, you're in John 17, 21. Congratulations. You got in. You made it in. It's real, isn't it? It needs to become more real, but it's real. Okay, E. We are the church to be the body of Christ. Not by being organized, but by being enlivened, regenerated, and made alive with the triune God as the oneness within us. Wonderful. All the local churches are and should be one body universally, doctrinally, and practically. Why do we say doctrinally here? Just to, just to point out that that's where it starts. It starts with the proper understanding. It, it, that, that's why I said earlier there's only one church on the whole earth. It, it, we need to understand it right before we can have it in our practice correctly. Now, um, the next point, very important, G. Let's read it together. Saints, what is the most helpful thing in keeping the oneness? Blending. Blending. Yeah, it is. You know, we didn't even have the teaching of blending. I'm not talking about the practice now. I'm talking about the teaching. We did not have the teaching of oneness until 1993. Can you believe it? So when I say, as, as Brother Michael did, that the recovery is so much better today and that so much progress has been made, that's one of the things that we're talking about. Not only do we have the teaching of blending today, we got it. We got the practice. We have a culture of blending. We love it, don't we? We came a long way to blend here today. I came 10,000 miles just to blend with you. I think I came the furthest distance to this conference. It was 10,000 miles one way. You know what? It was worth it. Because I get to blend with you. And what do we mean by blending? doesn't just mean that we all come from our place and come together in the school together for a weekend. No, that's not blending. That's, that's meeting. It's meeting. Blending is when you and I go through the cross 
and by the Spirit to dispense Christ into one another for the body of Christ. That's blending. That's why we all need to exercise our spirit in a gathering like this. It's not blending just by walking through those doors and sitting in these seats. No, that's not blending. That's not blending. The first thing you need to to do when you walk through that door, go through the cross. Say, Lord, I'm coming into this meeting for one purpose only. I want to minister you to the saints for the body of Christ. I reject myself. I reject my natural life. I reject my disposition so that I can blend. I don't feel like prophesying. Go through the cross. Exercise your spirit. Minister Christ for the body of Christ. That's blending. That's what, that's what is the most helpful thing. Ooh. I'm so glad that before Brother Lee went to be with the Lord, he recovered this matter of blending. And he charged us to blend. And he helped us to practice to blend. And now it's become such an intrinsic thing with us, we don't think about it. We just blend. Isn't that great? That's why we are more one today than we have ever been. I know we have a long way to go. I know we're short of the reality. But I'm comparing it to 1993. We are more one today, we being the churches in the Lord's recovery. We are more one today than we were in 1993. Do you think so? I think so. And I have a little perspective. I've visited the saints in many, 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 many countries, more than 60. So I've seen it. I know what it was like in 1993, and I know what it's like today. It's better today. You know why? Blending. So I believe this outline. Blending's the most helpful thing. H, the keeping of the oneness is the primary virtue of our Christian walk. That means even individually, saints. That's why I said at the beginning of this message, this focus, it needs to be the focus of our Christian life, not only the focus of our church life. The main thing we should pay attention to as a virtue, as a Christian virtue, is oneness. I don't think very many people understand that point. Most people would say, well, the main thing we need to do is be loving, is to be kind, uh, to be forgiving. Yeah, that's true. But the main attribute of the triune God, he has a top attribute, it's oneness. And the main characteristic of the body of Christ, the main principle of the body of Christ, Is oneness. So what should be the main virtue of our Christian life? It should be the oneness, which is God's main virtue and attribute, and which is the body of Christ's main attribute. All the believers should be in the divine and mystical realm of the pneumatic Christ and the consummated spirit, 
to be mingled with the triune God for the keeping of the oneness. That's where this incorporated oneness with the triune God exists. It's not in the natural realm. It's in the divine and mystical realm. You can't see it. When I look at you right now, I cannot see that you are in the triune God in the physical realm. But you are in the triune God. It's very, very real. But where it's real is in the divine and mystical realm. You know, sometimes saints get disappointed in the church life. They say, well, you know, all this high words, all these high messages, it's not real. Have you ever heard that? From saints who get discouraged or disappointed? It's just a bunch of words. It's not real. Here's a good answer for them. It's real. But it's only real in the divine and mystical realm. It's only real in your spirit. So don't say it's not real. It's real. The reason it's not real to you is you're looking for it in the wrong place. Okay, now, the second point we can cover more quickly, the function of the body is to express Christ. It's what the body is for. Christ is the head. The body of Christ is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. Isn't the Bible wonderful? If the head fills all in all, how can there be more? (laughs) But then there's the fullness, which is his body. For what? For the expression. For the expression. Uh, That's the purpose or the function of the body. The universally great Christ needs a body to be his fullness as his expression. The fullness of Christ issues from the enjoyment of the riches of Christ. Through the enjoyment of Christ's riches, we become his fullness to express him. The fullness of Christ is Christ experienced by us and constituted into us. The objective riches become the subjective fullness, and this fullness is the body of Christ. Wonderful. How do we become the body of Christ as his expression? By enjoying his unsearchable riches. We can do that, can't we? We can enjoy his unsearchable riches. The more we do that, the less we will express ourselves. And the more we will express him. Talking about the perfected oneness in John 17, 23, it's the oneness in the divine glory. That's in the divine expression. That is versus the expression of the self. All the problems in the body of Christ come when we express something other than Christ. Don't you think so? All of them. So, this is, this is our need. We need that, that perfected oneness where you and I go through the cross and we're by the Spirit. And we dispense Christ into one another. We don't express our own thought. We don't express our own opinion. We don't express ourself. We express Christ. Wonderful.
Let's pray for that. Okay, the body of Christ is the... This is the point I was making at the beginning of the message. The body of Christ is the extension and continuation of Christ on earth. The reality that was on in Jesus, in his life on earth, is supposed to be extended and continued by the body of Christ. The purpose of us believers being members one of another in the body of Christ is that we would live Christ and express him together. That's what we need to do. We need to live Christ and express him together. That requires us to go through the cross. D, the body of Christ is Christ. Think about it. We're supposed to be in the reality of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is Christ. What does that mean? Oh, Lord Jesus. That means I need to be Christ. Or I'm not, in reality, his body. I better pray, oh, Lord Jesus, spread in me so that I will express you. See, the purpose... Oh, I said that, D. Um, Okay, for the sake of time, I'm going to finish with point E. The body of Christ is the corporate Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have this utterance by Paul that is really remarkable. He said, as the body is one and has many members, so also is the Christ. Now, if you and I had written this, we would have said, as your physical body is one and has many members, so also is the body of Christ. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, so also is the Christ. So that Christ, the Christ, is the corporate Christ. It's the body of Christ, which is just Christ. Okay, I'll stop here. We have some time for your sharing. Just go through the cross, be by the Spirit, dispense Christ into his members for his body.